right. Everybody, great to uh, see you all. Great to be seen, I guess. And uh, as they say in uh, Naples, Florida, it's better to be seen than viewed because you're viewed in a coffin. But anyway, uh, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. <laughs> you, never, you never know what you're going to hear. Uh, Nor, great to see you. How you been? Always good to see you, my friend. Excellent. We're uh, honored to have Nor with us today. He's been... Uh, Busy helping out a bunch of clients the last few weeks. And uh, Sean, looks as you have some buff Buffalo Bills uh, there in the background. I am. Diehard uh, Bills Mafia. So uh, <laughs> even though I live in Florida, but uh, but definitely a Bills fan through and through. All right. There you go. All right. Well, uh, everybody, uh, very excited for episode number 83 of uh, Tech Sales Insights. Uh, brought to you by Sales Community. If you want to learn more, sell more, uh, Tucker will post. Uh, we've got a June free year membership special going on. So salescommunity.com slash June free. And uh, definitely psyched to have Sean Foster, who's a CRO of Anomaly, has only been there since January of this year. So um, I guess you're uh, well through your 90-day uh, plan. Uh, our topic today is operationalizing sales. Really, really great topic. And we've got our uh, sponsor is Gong, a uh, fantastic revenue intelligence uh, platform company. They're a gold sponsor of uh, sales community. And uh, Sean is a great customer and uh, is, is going to be giving us uh, some highlights. Uh, they, they started off kind of, I'll say, you know, listening in on conversations, have leveraged AI to help for coaching and feedback, and now are kind of expanding into uh, a bunch of other uh, go-to-market areas. And uh, they had a fantastic uh, virtual event uh, yesterday. Uh, called Celebrate. So uh, if anybody did not see that, definitely recommend that you check that out. So uh, unlike some of the guests, uh, Sean and I only recently met, uh, I've actually have known of each other for a long time and uh, certainly has a fantastic reputation, uh, is known for building winning teams, uh, winning sales teams that do well, has always leveraged the ecosystem, has definitely respected a relationship with customers and partners, uh, actually lives in Tampa and uh, grew up in Louisiana. So by default uh, is a LSU fan. So we'll try not to hold that against him. As some of you know, I am a big uh, Alabama fan and uh, Noor's uh, son uh, Justice is about to go to Georgia. So we got a whole, a whole uh, SEC rivalry going on here. Uh, most importantly though, he's a, uh, a great husband and great father of uh, two girls, uh, 10 and 12. And uh, Sean, I was exchanging notes with Sue Barsimian the other day, who uh, we both think very highly of. And uh, her summary was, uh, Sean is great. So I, I don't think you can get, uh, get, get any better than that. So uh, let's dive in here. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your professional background. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the intro. That's great. And uh, at least you got my only sports teams down. So I appreciate that. That's probably most <laughs> important. Um, but yeah, look, I really grew up in technology. I started, um, you know, my first sales job really uh, back in like 1998, and I spent a year in, in Boston. Actually, Randy uh, working for a company called Percussion Software, and I and I'd say back then it was really back in the day where uh, you know I call it a sweatshop. It was a, a line of phones and phone books, and you were making those calls and learning the ropes uh, the hard way. But uh, did that for about a year and a half, and then moved on to Symantec and got into cybersecurity. Uh, in 99, I spent 15 years at Symantec and you know, really cut my teeth there and moved up through the ranks. Um, left as the uh, the vice president of, of the of the West, uh, even though I was in Florida. It's a longer story, maybe for another another episode. But uh, went over to uh, Hewlett Packard. Uh, that's where I did meet Subar Samian. Um, but I went in as America's leader, running uh, running security sales. I uh, did that for a year, then was moved into the global role and did that for the last couple of years until uh, we sold that business to Microfocus uh, and then decided to get out of the big company and try my hand in, in startup world. So I spent some time as a CRO uh, at Forcepoint. Uh, I was at a company called Sienna Group where you know, I was there for a year. We, we sold that company to, uh, to ConnectWise uh, and then spent uh, three years at IronNet, uh, took that company public. Um, and then now I'm at uh, an anomaly and, uh, and hoping to do the same thing here. Uh, but, uh, but look, it's been, been a good run. Uh, had a lot of great experiences, been a lot of great people, uh, you know, along the way. And, and, you know, the great thing about sales, you know, and especially in cyber, it's always changing. Uh, you're always learning something new. Nothing uh, stays the same uh, every day. So it's uh, been, been a good run for me. 
Sean, that's okay. a fantastic background. Can you tell us a little about Anomaly? What do you guys do? Who do you sell to? Let's start there. Yeah, yeah. We're really a, a big data player uh, rooted in intelligence. And a lot of people know us. We're only an eight-year-old company. Uh, we kind of grew up uh, through a threat intelligence side of things, but, uh, but we've moved on to uh, – uh, to be a, a really a, a big data player, like I said, rooted in intelligence. Uh, and so we take, you know, whatever telemetry you have, we don't care, you know, we're vendor agnostic. So whether it's Splunk or uh, any of your EDR vendors or McAfee or Symantec, whatever it may be, uh, I match that up against our global repository threat intelligence. We have the largest, you know, repository threat intelligence out there. And we show you gaps in your environment, things that you haven't seen before. So you know, I'd say the three things I always tell customers we do, we, we amplify visibility of what you already own. We enrich the context that you have uh, to give you insights into that into that data. Uh, and then by doing that, we stop the attackers. And uh, and uh, we do we do use the call sign of, of XDR. So uh, I thought we you know, we're one of the um, one of the few XDR players out there. I just got back from RSA and I'd say we're one of several hundred, if not thousand of XDR players out there now. So. Everyone thinks about it differently, but but we are really the X in XDR. Uh, you know, it's really the threat intelligence side of things that that make us go and make us different. That's awesome. So, how about uh, ICP customers? How do you go to market? Yeah, uh, again, given what I just said, uh, typically you have to be somewhat of a mature organization or, or government organization for that matter. Uh, so you need to have a SOC, you need to have a SIM, uh, typically to consume something like us. So. Our ICP uh, here is really 5,000 employees and a billion dollars in revenue. That's that's really a good place to start. We'll make a few exceptions there, certainly on the uh, on the employee counts, uh, given that they're a mature security organization. Um, but but you need to you know basically you have to have a you know somewhat of a mature organization consume you know something like us or, or any any XDR vendor for that matter. Any customers you can mention? And, and also, how about who do you compete with in that XDR space? Who are the bigger ones you see in your deals? Yeah, well, I, you know, like I said, I would say at the tip of the usual suspects would be like a, a Palo Alto or a CrowdStrike or, or something like that until, like I said, until, until RSA. Uh, and then it seems like everybody is in XDR these days. So it, it seems like you know, a, a lot more vendors are out there. So, But, but those are typically, you know, the, the players that, that we see out there and what we're trying to do. Um, but look, we, again, given our, given what I just said, our ICP, uh, we have over 500 customers globally. Uh, they're all, you know, household names. So, uh, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, uh, Morgan Stanley, um, you know, I'm giving you guys from East coast. I'm giving you all the East coast names there. Um, you know, great, maybe, great, great, great names and certainly tough, uh, tough accounts yeah. to sell to. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, definitely be, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll save the, the, the government by name, but a lot of you know, a lot of U.S. government, a lot of the overseas government that we do as well, um, you know, in this space. So uh, we're very we're very fortunate. Um, you know, again, we do a lot of reference selling uh, as well, and so great news is that a lot of these customers uh, are more than happy to uh, to personally you know give us references. That's fantastic. How about size of the organization and and tell us a little about the sales team? Yeah, so we're like I said, we're an eight year old company, about three hundred people uh, company wide. I own probably a third of the organization. So I have uh, sales, uh, sales engineers, uh, channel, uh, customer success. Uh, you know, so, so again, about, about a hundred plus in that group. Uh, we have about 35 sellers globally, 20 sales engineers, um, you know, another 30 or so uh, customer success, uh, technical support, things along those lines. Um, so pretty decent organization. We're in all three theaters, meaning, you know, U.S., uh, Amia APJ uh, and growing all three all all three theaters uh, you know pretty healthily as well. The, the sales community is rich with some really sharp talent, and talent seems to be a an agenda for every CRO we meet. What would you say in your recruiting pitch? How would you position Anomaly as a place I'd want to come join? Yeah, I, I think look, you know, it, it depends on talking to right, and and at what level I'm I'm talking to. But let's just say it's your average seller, but but. You know, again, if, if you want to make money, if that's your, your number one goal, like a lot of sellers are, uh, it, you know, certainly early on in their career, that's the number one thing. Uh, we have a very, very rich comp plan here. Uh, you know, my CEO is very pro sales. My CFO, believe it or not, is very pro sales. Um, and so uh, I was really surprised uh, that I'd love to say that I created this great comp plan, but it was I inherited it. 
Um, so you can make a lot of money here uh, by, of course, making it, you know, blowing out your number. Uh, there is no cap uh, that we have, but we also do a lot of bonuses around co uh, competitive takeouts and, and things like that. Now, if you're maybe a little bit further in your career um, and, uh, you know, it's like, hey, money's great. It always is, um, you know, but, but maybe there's a little bit more to what you're trying to do. We solve real world problems, right? We solve customer issues that they're having out there. And one of the things that drew, drew me here, and if you're a security professional, hopefully you can appreciate that, is, you know, how are we actually going to finally beat the adversaries? And I think it's it's working together, right? And something I call collective defense, um, we call it trusted circles, uh, you know, here uh, at Anomaly, where you're know, working together, anonymously sharing that information, attacker information or threat information, uh, anonymously so we can get ahead and you know work together to beat the adversary and you know so truly trying to make the world you know somewhat of a safer place and as corny as that may sound uh it's truly what i came here for because i felt like the technology was that far ahead um and, uh, and i had some experience that in my you know previous life and so but i really did admire the technology and what they could do here uh as far as like i said to try to put an end to you know or at least to keep up with the adversaries that are out there if not get ahead of them I, uh, I coach a lot of leaders to fundamentally focus on two things, brand, be that brand advocate, be that brand ambassador, and then culture. How would you describe the anomaly culture? Yeah, uh, I, it's a great question. I think uh, everyone is here to try to win, right? Like, I mean, given that you're only 300 people, uh, 300 people strong, uh, it, it, you know, everybody's moving in the same direction, which is great. Uh, you know, our, our, our executive team down uh, are on the same page working together there's no you know silos or fiefdoms if you will uh and it's like look what are we doing to win and you know at the, at the tip of the spear are always our customers which is great because i've worked in other organizations that it may be a little more product centric or engineering centric and you forget what's most important right uh no one cares how cool your technology is if you're not solving the customer problems taking care of them you know nothing else matters and uh and that's something that you know we take to heart here Wow, that's, that's great. great. Um, so the the title topic that you pick, I love operationalizing sales. Uh, before we get into that, um, yeah, my yeah theory from what I hear and see is that yeah, if you go back 10, 15 years ago, you know, kind of being you know CROs, you know, nobody really cared about, or from a VP of sales, I guess at the time, kind of your you know operational skills. But now I would argue that's probably a really important piece in terms of you know being selected. For these uh, for these roles, did that come up at all in your interview process? Yeah, it, it definitely does. I think um, you know, when, especially when I'm interviewing you know leaders, um, you know, I ask them about their background and and again, how do they scale and how do they you know how do they get what they want out of their out of their uh, individual contributors? And I, I'm listening for things like, do they have a plan? Do they have a process? Uh, or is it, hey, go out and just do a bunch of deals and come back to me? And, you know, sometimes you can coach that into people that hey, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's one way uh, yep. to grow. But um, but I'm always listening for those things in leaders that they have that mindset that uh, there is a process in place. Uh, and if everyone's got on that same page, what that process is, you can tend to grow and scale a lot faster, which, again, in this world, you know, in the startup world that, that I'm in, you know, it's all about speed and scale. Totally. And uh, Tim, thanks so much for Timothy. Thanks so much for asking. He says, uh, hey, are you guys answering questions? Absolutely. Sorry, I usually uh, mention that in the beginning. So uh, you can see us or hear us. We cannot see you, uh, but certainly feel free to, uh, you know, anybody post any comments and post any questions. We have Tucker behind the scenes who uh, does a great job of pull pulling those up. So uh, don't feel worried about kind of having to do it in between breaks, whatever, just pop them up there and we'll uh, kind of pivot over to you accordingly. So uh, anyway, so uh, Sean, back to the title topic, operationalizing sales, yeah. uh, kind of what are some key pillars in that? Yeah, so there's really four things that I think about, um, again, growing up through the ranks. Um, you know, first, you got to have talented and engaged employees. And it has to be both. It has to be both talented and engaged in what you're trying to do. That, that's kind of pillar one. Um, two is customer and partner loyalty, right? How do you gain loyalty with your customers and then your partners if, if you are in a partner community? The third thing being operational excellence, right? What are those things that, that are the must-haves and how do you operationalize it? And I think if you do those three things, the fourth thing being 
a fourth pillar being business results. The business results will come if you do those first three things really well. And so that's where I always start uh, again, more now, more speaking to the leadership community out there and, and working in my organization and what I've seen successful in other you know big organizations or small organizations, you know, doing those things well, the business results will come and it'll be more predictable and repeatable. Great. So your first one is uh, talented and engaged employees. Um, you know, it may sound silly, but in terms of, um, you know, making sure that they're talented, any kind of one or two nuggets uh, that you do in terms of the interview process or finding out to make sure they're talented? Sure. Um, there's a couple of things, right? Um, you know, I'd love to say that uh, I've never had a bad hire, but I'd be lying to you guys. I think everyone has had their moments of, of bad hires. You, you just don't know. So I always like to get a lot of fingerprints on, especially the key hires out there. So um, I've used in the past a panel process. So if you narrow it down, I'll, you know, let's say you're interviewing 10, 15 people for a single job, you narrow it down to a top three, you bring those folks into a panel process and you have a cross-functional group, right? So if I'm hiring, let's just say an East Coast you know, leader, I may bring my, my channel leader, my head of sales ops, uh, my head of HR, um, you, know, you know, product uh, or a SE leader. And the four or five of us will, you know, watch this person or, or, or maybe the finalist, two or three people give a presentation, how they present. I was there, you know, they own the room that they have that presence about them, which is so key. Uh, that's hard to, to kind of get on, on a one-on-one -on -one interview sometimes um, and then score and have a scorecard. And so, you know, there's somewhat of subjective, but there are also, um, you know, some substance in that as well. You actually have a score at the end. So that's some way, again, if I have a key hire, I want to make sure I, I have that panel process and that cross-functional group with me. Right. And in terms of uh, engagement, um, I guess kind of two parts. Are you face to face versus virtual? And, you know, how do you really you know, get, get that engagement level? Yeah, great question. Uh, I'm going to answer that maybe a couple different ways. Um, look, I think when it comes to employee engagement and I don't care if they're, you know, a vice president or, or you know, a BDR. Uh, I think you have to take interest in them personally first, right? And, and that's so important. Uh, you know, do you have an individual development plan for those folks that are in your organization? Do you care about what they do? Do you ask them questions before you get into, you know, uh, tell me about the deal or tell me about a forecast? You know, how was your weekend, right? How, how, was, how was the, uh, you know, the soccer game this weekend with your kids or whatever like that? I think just taking those extra few minutes um you know you you've shown a personal interest in them and and in turn you know i feel like you know if you do that people are more willing to uh, to get on board with what you're trying to do and be more engaged in what you're trying to do so that's one way i answer that question randy the second thing is and maybe for some other leaders that have changed roles like i did during covid again i've been in this job six months i i struggled coming in here uh the first four months or so of winning yeah. the hearts and minds like i'm i'm kind of hearts and minds person right i mean i want to you know, I couldn't get out, you know, and we're a California company, so we're very conservative, um, even though I live in Florida, um, about getting out in front of, uh, you know, customers and partners and our own people, you know, grouping, uh, getting together as a group. And, uh, you know, as hard as I try to do it over Zoom, it just doesn't translate. It's too, I know, a little too sterile. So I was able to convince, uh, and, and thank goodness, for, I have a great CEO and, and head of HR um, that allowed me to do a, a sales kickoff in person at the beginning of May. And, uh, and that changed everything for us, right? That, that really, you know, getting, getting in person, getting in a room and, and yes, it's a sales kickoff and we did the normal trainings and things like that, but I felt like then everybody was on board and everyone was engaged and, you, and we, we spent a lot of time, social time as well, maybe more than you normally would in a, in a SCO. Um, and, uh, and that made a difference. And I think we, we're seeing now things really, really move in the right direction. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and uh, Nora has told me previously there's a, a Gallup poll, I believe, that the number one uh, reason most employees leave is that they don't feel like they belong. And um, he's also told me about McKinsey, who says uh, belonging and internal relationships are critical to retaining exceptional talent. And uh, uh, kind of uh, thir third nugget might be, uh, actually, I have this uh, blog that are not blog, but a, a LinkedIn post I do every week, which is, uh, I might be old school, but and we uh, start out doing one, but I've got such a backlog. Now we might be two or three. I, I did one this morning talking about, you know, that you really work for your team. It, it's not a pyramid with you at the top. It's kind of a, right. a pyramid that, that, that goes, you know, goes the other way, right? So, you know, you, you work for every, everybody else. So I, I know you, uh, 
breathe breathe that for sure. So we have uh, Peter uh, Bell is a great question that feeds into the uh, second one talking about customer and partner loyalty. Uh, thanks, Peter. He says, great conversation. Uh, how do you measure customer loyalty, Sean? Yeah, it's a, it is a great question. And, you know, again, back in the day, uh, again, I'm probably, you know, maybe a little older than some folks out there in this role, but, uh, you know, we do customer QBRs, right? And we would do that and we would, we would do in-person QBRs um, and, and make sure that, hey, this is why you, you know, bought our solution, whatever that was, and here was the problems that we were solving. Did we do that? How well did we do that? Well, now you have a whole department called customer success, right? That does that. And there's a lot of tools like Gainsight and others that uh, that we employ here that does a lot of that for you, right? So um, so you're, you're obviously getting a customer SAT score. Um, but uh, if you're at a company that, um, you know, that either sells, you know, seats uh, or sells, you know, multiple products, I think you gain loyalty. Are people buying more from you, your current customer base? How much upsell are you able to do with those customers? Um, you know, is, is one one nugget right there. Uh, how many cross-functional sales, or sorry, yeah, cross-selling can you do with additional products? And then the third thing being uh, references. I mean, are they willing to be a reference for you? Uh, and I mean, not a public reference where they're doing a video on your on your website because a lot of times that gets stopped by legal and they're they're legal, and it's and it's a lot of hoops and red tape to jump through. But you know, person to person. Are they saying, hey, I believe in what you do. You guys have treated me right. I'm willing to speak, you know, put my name out there on your behalf uh, on a phone call for you, Sean. And that makes the difference. And I think that's how we've measured here. Excellent. So uh, you, you never know. You might be getting that ask from uh, uh, Gainsight. And then I know, I know later on we're uh, talking about Gong. Uh, yeah. So I'm just going to pivot here to a uh, question from uh, Timothy. Thanks, Timothy. He says, uh, I have my own small business where I fix and sell sal salvaged cars. Congratulations. Uh, I want to get into tech sales and idea how to make the transition. Uh, seems like putting in an application on job boards doesn't work in recent times. Uh, as Jesse says, fantastic question. Yeah, so yeah. a couple things. Uh, you can get a free membership to sales community. So I do uh, salescommunity.com slash June free. And uh, in there, you certainly find a lot of great content. So uh, to be honest, uh, if I was a tech sales leader, I'd definitely take a chance on somebody with your DNA because I'm sure selling salvage cars is a heck of a lot you know, <laughs> harder than selling any, any tech thing. But you probably just need to get kind of honed up a little bit. Uh, I'd also just go online and uh, you know see about you know interview best practices. Um, so that way you have a good thought process around kind of how to interview, what to do. Uh, by the way, in sales community, you can do kind of topic sort on uh, all, all these topics. And uh, as well, feel free to uh, reach out to me if you want to send me a uh, kind of cover uh, you know, resume uh, saying, I saw you in the podcast, uh, you, you, you offered to help. Uh, and uh, probably something we can do to uh, kind of get that posted on LinkedIn and uh, within sales community. So, uh, Timothy, hopefully that helps. Uh, Sean, any other uh, suggestions that you have for him? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. I think, uh, you know, you just need a chance, right? And uh, <clears throat> again, before I got into to tech sales, if you heard the beginning of this podcast, uh, even though it was a, you know, 100 call a day type of job, which you're probably going to, you know, have to do, and that's okay, because uh, you earn your stripes. Uh, I was working for um, Sockety Running Shoes, right? I was, I was my first job out of college, I was selling shoes, you know, so maybe I'm the Al Bundy of software now, but uh you know, that's like, it doesn't matter where you start. It's kind of where you, where you finish. Right. And so I think, you know, somebody just, you know, gave me a chance and uh, I think that's all you need is a chance and show that you're willing to work hard, uh, have great integrity and, uh, and willing to learn and uh, you can show those things. I think, uh, you know, you can do great things here. That's great. What, whatever happened to Saucony, are they still around or they got purchased by somebody? They got bought by stride, right? Yeah. Back in the day. Um, I was only there for, for a little over a year, but um but yeah, they got they got bought uh, by yeah Stride Right, which I believe was in Boston as well. But that was up in on the North Shore, Randy, uh, where I worked uh, up there in uh, Peabody, Mass. There you go, Peabody. Small awesome. world. Right. Yeah, right. Sean. One of the one of the comments that I that I heard years ago that stuck with me is every referral is a recommendation. So back to your customer and channel loyalty comment. If they're not referring you, if they're not making an introduction on your behalf or stepping up and saying I'm willing to be a reference. You should wonder why is that and are you really delivering value for their business so that comment 
resonate with me. Thanks for mentioning that. You mentioned um, love the get, you know in person get together. You had an SKO about a month or so ago. Give us the highlight. How was that like getting people back together again? Yeah. What really resonated with you and the team from the SKO? Yeah, uh, no, it was great. It was in Vegas, so I'll put that out there. Uh, it was we did it off the strip. We did it at the JW Marriott, which was a great a great property. Um, but like I said, it, I was a lot of selling internal selling on my part uh, to 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 make that go. And so when we did get the green light, we only had five weeks to prepare. And any of you guys have ever put on an SKO, um, you normally have you know, four to five months that you're preparing and planning and making sure you know what you're going to say. And, and it was, uh, it was like, Hey, we're going, you know, let's make this happen. We all knew we needed to get it done. Uh, but we had half the time, to, you know, less than half the time to prepare for it. Um, but it, it worked out great. Uh, you know, again, we, we had a lot of time that was, uh, you know, interaction time, but, but we got to a lot, we got to work as well. We got to a point where, you know, we were doing a lot of training, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm old school a little bit as well. And so we did a lot of, uh, uh, role playing. So, Hey, here are the two sales plays we're running, right? We're running a sales play. It's going to be a cross sell play with our current customers. Uh, we're also going to run a, a net new, uh, sales play. So let's get in groups, you know, cross functionally. And I, all those teams I mentioned before were there. So sales, SEs, channel customer success. And we, we just split everybody up in, in round tables and did, I uh, did role playing. We had the scenarios on the tables and we spent, you know, three, four hours every afternoon doing that and, and just practicing. Right. And so I think you got to practice your craft and get asked questions as and uh, that, that a normal you know prospect would ask you and be able to respond and be audible ready on that kind of stuff. So uh, so it worked out great. And I feel a lot more confident. I think the team feels a lot more confident getting out in front of uh you know, prospects now after being an SKO. Yeah, Seidel and I are big believers in SKO. We've we've spent several together, and uh, there's nothing as rich as just reconnecting as human beings and yeah. kind of seeing each other and getting the team not just excited and rah rah, but really, you know, giving them the tools and the resources to go tackle you know the next year. So that's that's great. It's great to see more CROs putting SKOs in person. You also were at RSA last week. How did that go? And give us a highlight from RSA for for you and Anomaly. Yeah, it, it was great. We had a great booth, but a great location. Um, you know, for a company of our size, like I said, I thought we did it. You know, we showed up in a big way. Uh, the booth was packed. Um, you know, I, and and it wasn't just packed from you know, of course, prospects, things like that. But we had a great little area where we were doing demos, uh, and then we had some of our partners, uh, some of the feed vendor partners that we have out there. Um, you know, doing some demos as well, and and attracted a really big crowd for us. So we got a lot of. Um, you know, a lot of great uh, leads from from the show, but we also had a lot of in-person meetings. So over to the side that we had a meeting area. And so myself, and my CEO and chief product officer and our founder uh, just had meetings rolling in and out of there. So we were we were inundated there uh, with customer and partner meetings, uh, which was great. Look, I felt like everybody was the same way, uh, even you know, customers who may have not gone in last five or seven years were like, hey, I'm going back. I'm going to go see what that's all about. Uh, and it was great to see people back in person. Um, again, I, I've been fortunate enough in my career since 99 of always being cybersecurity. So for me, it's like a homecoming. Uh, you see a lot of people there that you, that you know and growing up and hearing some great stories back in the day that maybe you don't remember. So so that part of it, um, you know, was really good as well. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, we're, uh, it was kind of missed by me. But, uh, you know, a lot of these industry events where there's, you know, kind of great CROs like you were, uh, you know, Plenty of some uh, get-togethers get going forward, I think, would be worthwhile. Anyway, all right, we have uh, Luke. Uh, looks like he is your rep at Gong. So uh, good that he's on the ball here. Um, so he's looking forward to meeting and working with you. Uh, so Luke, I already got in the prep session. Uh, Sean said he'd be happy to uh, uh, get with you. But obviously, you got to make sure you're uh, adding value, not just getting with him to uh, report the news, but hopefully help him make the news. Anyway, um, you mentioned uh, customer loyalty, customer retention, et cetera. Given the current macroeconomic climate, how are you thinking about how this is impacting your sales process and go-to-market teams? Uh, do you have a strategy in place or are you giving your team any recommendations or guidance on how to get in front of these signals to mitigate risk slash churn? Yeah, something, something of a something of a leading question, but go ahead. It is, it is all right, but Luke, I I, I, I respect that and uh, appreciate it. It's, it's a great question, and I think 
uh, as business professionals, I won't even say sales professionals, but business professionals, we need to understand what's going out in the world today. Uh, we, we need to understand what's happening with inflation. We need to understand what's happening, you know, you know, with with the the uh, uh, conflict in in Ukraine and things along those lines, and how that affects not only us, but more important, how does that affect our our customers, right? And and what are they thinking about? And so, if you think about the economy and where it is right now, you know, depending on what uh, what vertical you might be calling on or multiple verticals, you know, what are you doing then to potentially create efficiencies for them, right? So how do you potentially save them money or uh, give them time back? And a lot of times, again, we'll think about, you gotta have this because it's such a cool technology. Well, cool doesn't sell uh, most of the time anyway, but cool certainly doesn't sell when it's a downturn in the economy, right? And so you need to be talking business uh, and uh, dollars and cents uh, and be thinking about um, selling outside of the IT team and selling into more of the CFO or business unit uh, at that point of how you can help them. And so I think, you know, what my advice to the sales team, I've already given it is that guys, we gotta be thinking about this, right? And, and how do we potentially, you know, create more efficiencies for our customers or save them money, you know? And so that's definitely something Luke that, you know, I would put towards uh, your organization as well, but that's uh, what we're doing here. Uh, at Anomaly. Awesome. Thanks. And uh, from Jesse, we have Sean, congrats on all the success, IronNet, Anomaly, et cetera. Question, should SDRs call direct mobiles, uh, cell numbers, uh, what are some of your limits where performance and brand are at a conflict, SMS, FaceTime, et cetera? So I think the, yeah. the high level would be kind of your philosophy on uh, you know, texting or cold calling people's cells. Yeah, look, um, I, I don't think there's anything against it. Uh, you, you know, it's kind of like, I like, I live in Florida, I like to fish. I like to fish where the fish are. Right? Um, and uh, and I would say the same thing. I mean, look, if, if you know someone's mobile phone, um, you know, and, and can make that call, then, then make that call. I think if you get that audience, uh, you know, if that person answers, I think you need to be ready, audible ready about what you're going to say. Um, it's always better to have a warm air induction. Let me start there. I should have started there. Yeah. Always better to have a warm air induction if you can. But if you can't, look, understand that uh, there's other ways to, to get to those individuals. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you're being a professional. Right. And you're not being a nuisance, um, you know, and, and, you know, calling someone, you know, 10 times a day and things like that. I don't think that works. I think that maybe that is old school a little bit um, where people used to sit by their phones. Right. And, and it was their desk phone, though. It wasn't their mobile phone. And so, you know, have some respect on, on that front. Yeah, definitely. And there you go. Uh, so Jesse says, Luke's awesome. Looks like we have a smiley face from Luke. Hey, Luke, if you want some uh, brownie points with your marketing team, maybe you can uh, post there the uh, Celebrate event link from uh, yesterday. Uh, God forbid. Anyway. Uh, and then Jesse says, uh, <laughs> that could be another, it might be old school, but uh, if you, <laughs> but if you're going to get thousands of views on a podcast that you're sponsoring, maybe you want to include the link. Anyway. Uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse says, I know Luke, he's a good dude. I highly recommend him and gong. And then Jesse also says something about Lauren sermon. So sorry, not sure what the context is there, Jesse, but, uh, nor. Yeah. So, um, Sean, one of the, one of the things, again, philosophically, Randy and I both deeply believe in is that we're all products of the advice we take. So as you come up through the ranks and, and really growing and maturing as a sales leader, are there some examples of sales leaders that you know, you like, you respect that really model the leadership traits, the behaviors, uh, the brand uh, and how they show up that you admire? You want to you want to try to uh, adapt in your own style? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been really, really fortunate in my career, um, you know, and uh, and I and I'll definitely have a couple of sales leader examples. But, you know, early on, I would say. And I'll start with a CEO um, that I, I had the fortune to uh, to work under. When I was at Symantec, our CEO at the time was John Thompson. Right, so if any of you guys know John Thompson out there, um, yeah, and he's he just retired as the uh, chairman of the board of Microsoft. Uh, but uh, he grew up in Florida, and so here I am, a new rep in Florida, uh, trying to you know make my way. And then uh, you know he was he would come back. Uh, to see his father uh, and, and family. And so he would, you know, like CEO would, hey, I'm coming on Thursday, have a bunch of meetings ready for me to go. Um, and, and I would do my best to do that. But that time in the car going from meeting to meeting, 
you know, what I what I really took from him was that, you know, I was nobody, right? And uh, and, and we were a fairly big organization even back then. Uh, but but he treated me just like he was treating the CEOs that he was meeting with or the CISOs that he was meeting with. Uh, it was no different, right? And I felt like a guy in that in that that stature, and that um, you know, and certainly he had a lot of success even before he came to Symantec. Um, you know, treat me just every bit of, with the same amount of respect and, and dignity that he treated the, the CEOs we were meeting with. It told me a lot about him as a person, but also how I wanted to be, right? And I wanted to be that person. If I ever got to that level, I wanted to be able to treat people, you know, this the same way as well. And so that's one, uh, you know, John Thompson had a big impact on me, um, you know, and, and he's a legend certainly in this in this field. Uh, you know, down to the sales uh, community, I had a lot of good, uh, a lot of great sales leaders. Um, when I started to like the topic of this of this uh, podcast being operationalizing sales, that really started when I started working for uh, a guy named Bill Welsh. Um, you know, Bill Welsh, um, oh, yeah. yeah, worked with him at, at Symantec. He went on to Zscaler and did great things, took them public. Uh, I worked for him again in IronNet, um, but but operationalizing sales is really where that came from, right? And uh, and the nuggets that like you have to have predictable and repeatable results. And here's a process to get there. Uh, you know, that's where I started kind of honing those skills. Um, the other thing that he would say that I loved, um, you know, which I didn't do a great job of growing up in the ranks, uh, was give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, um, I've been married 22 years, but used, you mentioned I have a 10 and 12 year old. So I, there was 10 years there, I didn't have children. Uh, and I maybe not, didn't give people the benefit of the doubt what was going on in their personal life and home life uh, and children. And now that I'm right in the thick of things, I realize just, you know, how important that is and then how much how time consuming that is as well. And that, that works not the most important thing out there, right? Family's the most important thing. And so he was the one that taught me that. I give people the benefit of the doubt um, at always. So that was a, that was an important nugget, you know, growing up. Um, you know, Sue Barsamian, uh, you mentioned Randy at the beginning of this. Just look, Sue says, I'm great. I mean, I, you know, I don't, words don't describe how I feel about Sue and how great she is and the person that she is. Uh, and the leader that she is, uh, you know, and I, and I think my respect from her, and this is, you know, that when, when I met Sue, I was out the door, I was leaving uh, the company, I was at HP, it was, I was going to move on because we had some changes and, and she asked me to stay and take over this global role. Um, and, um, you know, again, at that point, I'd already been in security for, I don't know, uh, 15, 17 years, something like that. Sue had never been in security um, and she was going to lead the business unit of security. And I was like, you know, what am I going to learn here? And uh, and she said, hey, just give me a chance. And uh, and and she she worked at it. Uh, she was great. By the end of it didn't take long at all. I would say three months, maybe six months. She was as fluent if I was if, if much better, probably at uh, at the end about how fluent she was in security. How she was already always great with partners and customers and things like that but just how fast that she could come up to speed. Security is not an easy thing to learn. Right? It's a big industry, yeah. how well she did that. And to me, it just, again, inspired me that, look, you're never too too old to learn new, new tricks. Uh, you know, you're never too old to learn new things or new, learn new industries. And that gave me kind of a new lease on life as well, that I could go on and do different things. And that's really kind of inspired me to go into the startup world uh, because it was something I thought that, hey, it's a young man's game, you know, I, I'm too old for that, uh, you know, and, uh, but, uh, you know, she really inspired me on, on that front. So again, it's I've been very fortunate to have great leaders and I'm sorry for the long answer, but, uh, you know, it's something that, uh, it's an important question. Well, it was, there was a lot of great nuggets in there. That was awesome. Yeah, really, really good. And, uh, remember Sue, it's kind of like the, hopefully it's a compliment, but it's kind of a iron fist and a kind of silver glove, like being, she just has such a nice way about her. And, you know, talking about getting to yes, you know, much, yeah, over the, I don't want to say, not that I'm a bull in China shop or maybe I, I grew up a bit, but anyway, she just has such a nice way about her. Like she can just get like, yes, from you, like on anything. And I walk out and like, well, what, what did I just agree to? Why, why did I do it? But um, yeah, yes, but certainly a, a fantastic leader, very engaging, uh, very, very helpful for sure. And actually uh, overlapped with Bill uh, also at HP, never had the opportunity with uh, John, but uh, Bill certainly great. So we have a couple other nuggets here. So from Lauren, she says, "Oh, excited to be here. What are you doing to get more women in sales? What are your DEI focuses?" So th this kind of whole topic with women and diversity, 
you know, what I think, especially around women, is it really needs to go back to the university. So you can certainly support women that are in sales now, but unfortunately, it's still such a small population. I think a lot of the efforts need to go back to not that everybody has to go to college. If you don't go to college, no problem. Certainly, sales can still be a great career. But you know, there's a lot of colleges that have sales programs, so kind of reach out to them. But still, it's um, you know so unfortunate that the minority of you know whatever hundreds of schools you know there's a thousand strong schools in the country you know the, the number of them that actually have sales programs I, I looked last year it might be like you know 30 if that i mean why don't they have why aren't there more so to me that's i, I think the really the primary fix that re really need, needs to happen um sean do you have any other perspectives yeah i, I look I, I think uh you know for every one uh you know female resume i i get I get 10 you know, male resumes, right? And so I, I think I'm just dovetailing what you said. I think that, you know, I'd love to encourage, and again, I have two girls uh, to, to, to get into sales and get into tech sales and get into security sales, as far as I'm concerned, uh, on my end, because uh, I don't think there's just enough uh, women out there that are, that are in sales um, that would be great at it, right? And so I'd love to have more on my team. I can tell you that much right now. And, and my, uh, HR business partner and I, we talk about that on a regular basis and, uh, and we're working, you know, working towards that. But uh, again, I'd love to just get more opportunities and, and have more chances to interview, you know, more, more women in tech for sure. Totally. Great. Uh, great point, Lauren. So uh, what's your perspective on uh, the importance of uh, kind of, I guess it used to be called sales ops previously now uh, rev ops, uh, you know, kind of going forward and the necessity there. Yeah, a great question. And again, given the, again, the topic of this podcast, uh, I can't do what I do without having someone measure, right? So what gets measured gets done. Let's just be clear about that. Uh, you can tell a sales organization or a CS organization, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. But if you're not measuring it, it's not going to happen, right? Uh, you know, on a regular basis. So uh, I do have a, a head of revenue operations, um, uh, Rebecca, and she's fantastic. And, uh, and she's come in and really, again, operationalize what I want, right? Which is, you know, there's things that we're going to measure. And one of the, the pillars of, that I mentioned earlier, uh, being operational excellence. So what are we requiring in salesforce.com? You know, do you have to update on a weekly basis? You have to update your, you know, your next steps to win, um, you know, your forecast accuracy. What does that need to look like? How much pipeline do you need to generate on a weekly basis? Well, you can say all those things, but again, if you're not measuring it and putting it in lights and so people are, are seeing that, you know, that's something that we're going to uh, to work on and get better on every single week, um, you know, falls through the cracks. And so you have to have that revenue operations partner there uh, that pulls that together. <clears throat> so that's one one thing, Randy. I think the other thing is the insights, right? We're running so hard these days and, and even worse now in the COVID era with Zoom, sure your calendar is like mine, it's just stacked with meetings back to back to back. And, you know, you, you finally catch up on email at seven or eight o'clock at night or something like that. Um, but you need someone that's looking at the data on a regular basis and, and bringing that data and saying, hey, here's some thoughts I have on the data. Here's wins, losses. Here's our pipeline metrics. Here's things like like that are driving, you know, pockets of brilliance in the organization. Uh, and they can, you know, you get, a, you get a real talented person in that organization. They can bring you things that you can start making decisions on and, and makes a big difference in a company, you know, in, in a short period of time. So that's Usually. great. And yeah, awesome. And then on the um, kind of sales tool side, uh, I know you mentioned Gong, uh, you know, uh, Gainsight and uh, uh, some others. So maybe kind of give uh, kind of your uh, commercial maybe on Gong for what you know or what you use. Yeah, we use Gong uh, primarily in our customer success organization. So, uh, you know, when they're, you know, doing their, their QBRs or their monthly reviews, um, you know, how well are we supporting the organization? And what I, what, the way we kind of operationalize it here, if there was something that hey, it was a great nugget uh, or a bad nugget for that matter of, hey, this is, you know, we're having challenges and here's what it is, but I wasn't able to be on the call or our chief product officer wasn't able to call, you know, that, that can be quickly, you know, sent the recording and saying, hey, look at minute, you know, 557, right? And, and we can quickly hear exactly from the customer's point of view uh in context and it's not sugar-coated by the team in any other way about really what's going on so that that's how we primarily use going here but it's a it's an effective tool for us that's great and then you mentioned customer success but then uh you also have gainsight right yeah yeah we use gainsight uh you know nick meta is, is a great ceo uh and i love that guy 
but uh, but a great tool as well in Gainsight. And so you know, again, they operationalize everything in customer success through Gainsight. Uh, again, sales we use Salesforce.com, but Gainsight you know obviously uh, maps right into that and integrates with it. Um, so we bring those two tools together. And what I would say in the sales organization and SE organizations primarily Salesforce.com, customer success, Gainsight, but we marry those two together uh, so we have a seamless operation there. Awesome. And then uh, any other kind of sales tools that you use? Um, you know, those are primarily the, the ones I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting. Uh, I, I've been successful in the past with sales loft when it comes to the BDR function. Um, you know, we had, I know somebody had mentioned that before. So, you know, they, their cadences that they do, I think are pretty, uh, pretty good. I've used um, uh, Drift in the past, uh, you know, from the website standpoint. And I think that's, um, you know, that's a pretty, pretty good tool to do, uh, you know, some uh, self-sufficient, you know, type of uh, activity on websites. Um, but uh, there's probably no tool I haven't used at some point in time, but those yeah. are primarily the ones that we use here. Awesome. And uh, Lauren asked a great question. Uh, are you focusing on working with agencies who focus on these efforts? 100 qualified women who are eager and vetted would love to help. So uh, Lauren, for I would just go in sales community. Uh, apologize, I don't uh, I don't know all the, all the members, but uh, as I said before, if you want a uh, free membership, you can just do salescommunity.com/slash/junefree, and you can just post. Uh, I would just post in there and say, look, I've got 100 qualified women. If uh, anybody's interested, just uh, just just ping me. So uh, we try not to have a lot of solicitations within uh, sales community, but I think uh, what you mentioned is is unique and would be a great great way to do it. And if you uh, also post that on LinkedIn and tag me, I'd be happy to uh, repost it, which should uh, should help with your visibility. So uh, thanks for that, Lauren. Perfect. So, Sean, um, again, going back to your background and what you've seen and what you've done over the years, I think the three of us could agree sales is absolutely changing. It's evolving. I'd love your perspective on uh, how, how, is, how have you observed that the sales function, tech sales predominantly function, changing evolving and, and let's talk about some of those nuances yeah well there's a couple of things right there's time that's changed over time uh but then i think COVID is another huge thing which changed right and so let's talk about the first one over time let's say over the last 10 years you know david right that you, you know you sold a lot of relationship um you know and a lot of um you know knowing people and uh you know you can do a steak dinner around a golf or whatever it may be and and that went a long way typically um you know all things were equal um you know there's so many more people now involved in the sales process where that may have just been a, a cio or a CISO or something like that that you were selling to and could pretty much make some of those decisions on their own now that just that doesn't happen anymore there's so many more people that have to be part of the buying process uh, whether it's a cfo or it's a purchasing agent or contract specialist uh and so you know those types of things don't work anymore you truly have to show value uh your product truly has to show value and create value for the organization um and so i think that's how it's, how it's changed if you can't articulate if you're a seller and you can't articulate the value of your uh solution and how you've helped other companies out there you know you can do all the glad handing golf rounds in the world it's never going to change you know you're never going to get that deal you know you're going to end up having a golf buddy, you know? And so I think that's how it's changed maybe in the last 10 years. Um, COVID's changed, right? Um, you know, again, I, I'm, a, I'm a people person. I love to be out there and I love to shake hands and, you know, and get to know people. And I think it, it matters, um, uh, you know, and, and you still have to show value, of course. But, you know, when, when COVID hit, I was at a different organization uh, and we, we said, hey, everyone is in, inside sales now. I don't care how long you've been doing this how much ego you have you're an inside seller uh we were going to act as inside sellers and we we're going to you know function that way and um you know we, and we learned pretty quick uh from a sales standpoint our product standpoint is that we had to do everything remote um you know you got to be able to make sure that you can do it remotely and it was a great test for the company um but we pulled it off right and uh and we had to we had to move quick and look some people didn't make that journey uh, some people said hey i don't want to do this i don't want to make 100 calls a day it's not who i am i you know, I, I'm a relationship seller and that's, that's fine, but you know, things had to change during COVID and, uh, and they think they still are that way. And somewhat that again, value in your solution matters, uh, be able to articulate that value. Uh, and I think having speed and repetition, 
you know, as quickly as you can to uh, to go through your your pipeline, uh, you know, is key, and uh, and it can't be as methodical as it once was. So, so how have those trends changed the role of the CRO? When you, Randy, and I were selling, we didn't have CROs. VP of right. Sales was it. So now, as we create this Chief Revenue Officer, how has that role evolved? Yeah, I, it's a it's a great question. I think there's and there's so many tools that you now have at your disposal that you didn't have before. You know. It, I always say, are you lucky or you're good in sales, right? And, and how do you know, right? And so there's so many tools now that can help you with that. Uh, because it used to be, and you just go out and go on some sales calls with, with an individual and you can figure out in a couple of days, is this person lucky or are they good? Um, you know, now there's a lot of uh, metrics that, that can help you with that, right? And there's, like I said, there's there's Salesforce metrics, uh, there's there's pipeline metrics, there's the gain sites, there's things like that that can show you. And so I think, our role as CROs have been much more, you know, you, you can be much more of an operator than than uh, than you once were before. Still, nothing better than getting out in the field. Trust me on that, because uh, I miss it. But um, but I think that's that's kind of where this role has evolved, um, you know. And, and you still need to know, though, you know, somebody can have a great year, but then again, were they lucky or were they good? You know, did they have a process? Absolutely. Harder. Hard, Dick Egan, EMC, used to say, "The uh, harder you work, the luckier you get." Uh, and I say I'd rather be lucky than good, but uh, and, and anyway. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking <laughs> of EMC, I don't know if anybody ever told you or you came across Greg Ambulos, but just sitting here, like, geez, I'm, I think I'm talking to his twin. Uh, so he runs uh, he runs channels. Was uh, was was EMC now Dell EMC? But I just I'm sitting here, like, oh my gosh. Uh, anyway, so I hope that's a compliment. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Greg, Greg, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say compliment <laughs> to both of you. I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that. But um, anyway, time flies when you are having fun. Uh, so thanks so much, Sean. Really appreciate it. You've been a fantastic guest. Uh, Nor, as always, honored to uh, co-host with you. Uh, thank you very much for uh, Gong for sponsoring this and for being a gold sponsor of Sales Community. Uh, next week, we have episode number 84 and have Henri Richard. He was uh, previously uh, CRO at NetApp, so uh, certainly doing things at a bigger scale. Uh, now he's got his hands in a bunch of different things in terms of boards, investing, but he's also in the uh, sales excellence practice at Gartner. So he'll certainly have some fantastic perspectives. And uh, the, the title for his session is Selling and Leadership During Tough Economic Times. So not sure if we're allowed to categorize inflation, recession, you know, whatever. But uh, anyway, that'll certainly be a great session as well. So, uh, Tucker, uh, thanks so much for your help behind the scenes here. And uh, as always, we get this reposted across all the different social uh, mediums. So if you uh, have friends that missed it or you want to go back and check it out, certainly feel free. And uh, as always, uh, check out salescommunity.com. Uh, so certainly everybody have a great rest of week. Sean, thanks. Nor thanks. Thank you, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it.